We have been uh, in a series in January where we have tried to encourage you to stay positive, uh, to look at some things that we might be able to do as the people of God uh, to stay positive, especially to stay positive when life throws you a curve. And so we've been looking at some of the questions that Jesus asked, not just of the disciples, but he asked of the disciples, he asked people that he engages with. Uh, and I've said along the long, all along the way that sometimes truth is found on the other side of a good question. And so Jesus asked the disciples the question, why are you afraid? As the waves crashed in and they're in the boat, why are you afraid? To kind of push us to remind ourselves that Jesus is in the boat with us. And then we looked at questions like, uh, do you believe? Do you believe that I'm able to do this? I mean, do you really believe God is powerful? Do you believe, do you want to get well? A question that all of us have to ultimately answer. Do we want to do anything different? Do we want to be different? And then last week, we looked at the question when he says, why are you startled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? I know for my family, we went home and we talked a lot about that uh, this week, doubts. It's easy. Jesus says, stop doubting, believe. Really sounds fairly simple, right? Um, not quite so much. Uh, we can say we stop doubting. We can say we believe. And then all of a sudden, we doubt again. Something might trigger just a question. I think Jesus knew that we would have days like that. I think Jesus knew there would be days like this for churches. And so I invite you this morning, if you have your Bibles, open to the 26th chapter of Matthew. We're going to read a passage of Scripture that you probably know. You just don't know that you know it. Uh, but it's a passage in the 26th chapter of Matthew, starting in verse 26. Matthew 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. He took a cup. He gave thanks, gave it to them, saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many so that their sins may be forgiven. I tell you, I won't drink wine again until that day when I drink it in a new way with you in my Father's kingdom. This is the word of God for the people of God. So what is it? I mean, what is it about food that we use to mark special occasions? I mean, you know, you think about it. Like, so what do we do for Thanksgiving? We eat turkey, right? What do we do for Christmas? We eat everything, right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, we do, you know. Uh, you look and go, today is Super Bowl, and I'm sure that some of you have already thought about chicken wings or appetizers or what you're going to have tonight that you're going to celebrate the Super Bowl. I even thought about this. We're getting ready for Lent. Lent is a season of letting go, season of sacrifice, a season of doing without, and how do we kick it off but an all-you-can-eat pancake supper. I mean... We, we use food to kind of celebrate and mark an occasion. And I think that when you really think about it, it's, I mean, memories kind of come alive as we celebrate. Uh, 
meals. I can think back to, I was a little kid and every um, Christmas Eve, we would go to my grandmother's house. Everybody, all my cousins, it was really kind of the one time that we all got together and we would walk in her door and she had been baking all day long. And I can still think back to the smell of her cooking and baking. After Claire and I got married, we would go to her parents for Thanksgiving and her dad would cook the turkey uh, every year and her mother would do all the fixings. And I can remember the smell that was in her house on Thanksgiving as we celebrated. All of those things kind of bring memories alive. My guess would be is you probably have your own that you can think back. Maybe it's your house when your kids were there. We think about traditions that we have. All of those kind of make and mark occasions that help us to to remember and to know. And I think in some ways it helps us be thankful for those circumstances and those people. Today in just a few moments we are going to celebrate a meal together. I was sharing with our men's Bible study on Tuesday mornings. We are reading uh, the Gospel of John. And so in the second chapter in the Gospel of John, uh, we see Jesus change water into wine, and then we see him cleanse the temple. And we were talking this week about both of those were really about changing dynamics. Uh, Jesus changed water into wine, and the steward, if you go and read the story, we talked about this in our study, the steward looked for a rational way to explain it, and Jesus created a new way. He broke down boundaries uh, for that, and so there's miracle that occurred. Part of it was the fact that Jesus changed the way they were thinking. The steward was trying to kind of box God in, and Jesus was breaking down boundaries. The same thing with the cleansing of the temple was here was this outsider coming in that was speaking authoritatively. They were looking for a certain way to understand authority. And Jesus was like, look, forget the temple. Presence of God is here with you. And so was breaking down these, these boundaries. You see Jesus do that a lot. You see him take the most important prayer to the Jewish people, the Shema. He takes it and he changes it. The most important prayer to the Jewish people, he changes and says, not are you supposed to love God with all your heart and soul, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. He takes another prayer, the Kaddish, and adds to it to what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. And we also see that Jesus changes the meal that we are going to receive today. And so I think it's important for us to stop and think about that meal. So let's think back to the Israelites. Sun up to sundown. Sun up to sundown, they had to work uh, in uh, cruel, hard labor with the fear that someone was going to beat them with a whip or run a spear through their side. This was their existence. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They were completely, brutally oppressed by their Egyptian taskmasters. And so God's people lived like this for 400 years until God raised up Moses 
to go to the Pharaoh of Egypt and say, let my people go. And the Pharaoh, if you know the story, the Pharaoh said, no, I kind of like what's happening. I like the fact that they do my labor for free. And God says, okay, well, then I'm going to send some plagues your way and boils and frogs and gnats and locusts and all these different things that were unpleasant. Each of them, if you go and read the story, each of them represented an attack upon the Egyptian gods. So when he blocks the sun, it's an attack on the god of sun, Ra. When he turns the uh, water of the Nile into, the, in, into blood, it is an attack on the goddess of the Nile. And so God is revealing himself to the, to the people of Egypt and is saying, look, all of these gods that you worship, you need to forget them because I'm the one true God. And I honestly believe that if in that moment the Egyptians had said, okay, I believe you're the one God, he would have forgiven them, but they didn't. They continued to be prideful. They continued to oppress God's people. They continued to worship these false gods. And so God says, okay, then I'm going to send one final plague, and that's going to be the the plague of the angel of death that's going to come over the people of Egypt and everybody's firstborn child is going to be killed. But God says to the people, to his people, but to protect you, I want to tell you what to do. I want you to go out. I want you to find a lamb. I want you to slaughter the lamb. And I want you to take blood from that lamb and put it on your doorpost and when the angel of death when that plague comes through when the angel of death passes over that your house will be passed over that you won't suffer the consequences of this plague and that's exactly what happened the angel of death comes over the people of israel had put door blood of the lamb on the doorpost and they had been passed over and so god says to mark this event i want you to have a meal I want you to celebrate the night that you were delivered, the night that you were set free, the night that you were passed over. And so God wants them to never forget. And so we mark the occasion with a meal. And that meal is called Passover because it celebrates the fact that the angel of death passed over the house of the people of Israel. Now, with that understanding... Jump forward 1,500 years, give or take. And there's a rabbi who is sitting around with his students, and they are going to celebrate the Passover. Everything is just like normal. The food is right. The rituals are the same. Everything exactly the same. Now, it's the host's responsibility to bless the meal, And so this rabbi picks up the bread, he breaks it, holds it up, and he says, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then he turns to his student, and he says, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. And they're like, what? That, that's not right. They know the ritual. But before any explanation can occur, 
The rabbi takes the cup. He holds it up. He says, blessed are you, Lord our God, king of the universe, creator, the fruit of the vine. And then he passes the cup and he says, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And at this point, those students are sitting there going, this is the strangest Passover meal ever. But what they come to understand is that when Jesus says, this is my blood, this is my body, Jesus is instituting a new Passover. And he himself is the Passover lamb. Paul says this. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So let's celebrate the feast with the unleavened bread of honesty and truth. Jesus makes himself for us the Passover lamb. But I want you to understand, we don't just come to the table to remember Jesus. That's part of what we do. We celebrate his life. We celebrate him and what he offers us. But there's more because Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, isn't the cup of blessing that we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Isn't the loaf of bread that we break a sharing in the body of Christ? In some mystical way, some spiritual way that truthfully we can't understand. I can't understand it and you can't understand it. We, we share in the body and the blood of Christ. The Greek word for sharing is the Greek word koinonia. And koinonia means um, communion, means fellowship. And so in essence, when we celebrate communion, this is, we experience the fellowship of Jesus, the spiritual presence of Jesus Christ in that moment. We experience that. This is not just simply a remembering about Jesus. It is fellowship with Jesus. And then there's more. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 17, Paul says this, Since there is one loaf of bread, we who are many are one body, because we all share the one loaf of bread. This meal is not just fellowship with God. It is fellowship with each other. Literally, when we celebrate communion... We become community. We're no longer different. Male, female, black, white, rich, poor. Republican, Democrat. Whoever you vote for or whoever you root for on the, the Super Bowl. We're no longer different. We are all one body. We are all hungry sinners coming to the table for grace. That is the beauty of this moment. All the sights, all the sounds, all the triggers of emotion remind us that we are in this place. We get to remember who Jesus is, but we also get to have communion, fellowship, intimate presence with Jesus. We get to become and united together as a community. It's coming together. And you may think, well, what does this really have to do with Kind of like doubts and fears. How does that help us in this moment? I want you to think about the context. In Jesus' day, 
Scholars say nine out of 10 people lived below the subsistence level. And what subsistence level means is they did not have enough resources to be able to survive. There was no middle class like we think about today. There was no uh, fallback. There wasn't Social Security. There wasn't Medicaid. There wasn't unemployment. Uh, any of those things did not exist. And so literally, scholars would argue that of the 90% that lived below subsistence level, two out of three lived in extreme poverty. So I want you to think about this meal, but then I want us to bring in another meal. Do y'all remember the story where Jesus feeds 5,000? Okay. So I want us to think about the feeding of the 5,000. Theologians say that um, one of the miracles of that day was that people shared what they had. Because when they gathered around that hillside, we kind of picture it like it would be today. Imagine 90% lived below the subsistence level. Two out of three of those were lived in extreme poverty. They were there. They weren't there um, with a picnic basket waiting for the afternoon. They literally had nothing. I want you to imagine if they're sitting on the hillside listening to Jesus. What if they weren't sitting there just... In abundance, what if their stomachs were growling? What if their faces were sunken in? What if they were worried that they didn't know where their next meal was going to come, how they were going to feed their children? What if that's who was listening to Jesus that day? I don't know if you've ever seen true hunger. A couple of years ago, uh, I went with our team, uh, some of you, to the Dominican Republic. And part of what the Dominic Dominican Republic mission team does is they go out into the little villages and feed. They, there's a ministry there, least of these ministries, and they, they go out into the villages and they take them bags of food and, and boxes of food. And so you go out and, you, and you, you see these people. And there was one day, that, and you went out in kind of groups of three. And so some would stay and do a labor at the camp, and then some would go out and do this ministry. And so one day was my opportunity to go out, and I went into a village. And I believe, I can't say this for sure, I know Debbie was on the truck that day, and it may have been Vicky. I think Vicky was with us. Um, we pulled into a village, and as soon as we got there, they they started talking about a guy who was hungry and that we needed to help him. We didn't know where he was or what his story was. So we started unloading the food and um, he came in and he was wearing a suit, but his suit was hanging all over him because he was so thin. His face was sunken. It's the first time in my life that I think I've ever seen somebody who was literally starving to death. Now I want you to picture him on the hillside. 5,000 people there. There are 3,000 people just like him. No wonder they would follow Jesus anywhere. When he was able to give them food. Scripture says that Jesus had to move away from them. Because they were going to force him to be king. No wonder they would force him to be king. He was able to do something for them. That they could not do for themselves. They were hungry. 
And he put food in their stomach. Out of one boy's offerings of five loaves and two fish, he fed 5,000 people, of which 3,000 might possibly have been ravenous of hunger. And it says in the gospel, go read the story. It says in the gospel that after Jesus was finished that day, describes and says that their stomachs were full. Now imagine, there may have been the first time their stomachs had been full in a long, long time. They looked at Jesus as somebody who could do something for them that to help them to be able to feed their kids, maybe in a way that they haven't been able to take care of them in a long, long time. And here's where the story gets so weird for me. Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, but are you looking for me just because your stomachs are full? And there's probably some truth there. They probably were. But he goes on to say, but that's not why I'm here. I've come to give you not bread that perishes. I've come to give you spiritual nourishment, the scripture says. I've come to give you spiritual nourishment that will never go away. Because I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I think part of what we have to look and go is, do we come to Jesus because of what he gives us? That's not what Jesus, Jesus says, I didn't come to give you material blessings. I came to spiritually nourish you. And if you'll approach me the way that those hungry people were, if you would approach me, I'll give you bread that you'll never be hungry again. You'll never be thirsty again. So now let's go personal. Uh, many of you know, if you're on the prayer blast, you know that my, my family suffered a tragedy this past week. Um, Thursday night, my niece uh, driving her car made, an, made a mistake and was killed in a car wreck. And you might think, as many people wondered, um, why am I here? Um, I'm here because I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in resurrection. I believe in eternal life. I'm here because it helps me to be in the presence of a community of people. I come today hungry. I come hungry for presence of the Holy Spirit. I come hungry for God's comfort. And then last night I get a phone call that Jackie's passed away. And what I know is that I'm going to be in a church full of a lot of hungry people because you're sad. Some of you are in your own element of grief. And you come hungry. Then there are others of you. And I won't call by name. But I know some of your stories. There's some of you that are in pain. Constant pain. 
and you just want relief and you're hungry. There's some of you who are going through something that you don't see a side or a way over and you're looking for a path and you're hungry. We're all hungry for something. So I just invite you today to come and receive communion, experience the presence of God, the living bread, and hear his voice. Whoever comes will never be hungry, never be thirsty. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty God, we come now in this moment. Lord, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that on a day like this, you are able to unite our hearts together as a community. There's no differences in any of us. We're just hungry in need of your grace and in need of your mercy. I'm thankful, God, that in this moment we are able to experience your presence. Fellowship with you. Touch. thankful God that we can walk through this experience of communion and to know that we're not just getting bread it's not just about what's putting in our stomachs it's spiritual nourishment for you from you may we all approach the table Maybe we, may we hear you. That we won't be hungry, we won't be thirsty. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.